Hey everyone, it's Michael. We're going to be working on some episodes over the next couple of months, so we're going to take a little summer break. We'll be back with new episodes of Scotland at the end of August. In the meantime, my pals Annie and Jenny from the Incredible Stories of Scotland podcast have just started a brand new audio drama series called Weight of Sand, and I'd like to play the first episode of it for you right now. In this episode, titled Sin Curdles, Annie finds herself in Aldern Tollbooth in 1662 and meets Isabel Gowdy, one of the most well-known women accused of witchcraft in the Scottish witch hunts. Come on, let's listen in, shall we? The following story is inspired by the real trials of women accused of witchcraft in the north of Scotland. The makers of this show wholeheartedly support the campaign for the pardon and remembrance of people accused and convicted of witchcraft in Scotland. This series is funded by Northward. Three, two, one, and recording. This is the first interview of Isabel Gaudi, 21st of April, 1661, in the Tollbooth of Aldern. Greetings, Isabel. It's really good to finally meet you. Greetings to you. It's a strange thing to travel so far, to sit in the cell of a cotter's wife. Oh, you're more than a farmer's wife, Isabel. Here, I brought you some bannock bread and honey. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't really know what to bring you. They say the devil shall never leave a witch hungry. The price of a soul becomes cheap when the price of oats is high. I've... I've never thought about the price of a soul. With so much honey to spare, you needn't be concerned for such things. Isabel looks at me with curiosity. She's eating her bread. I sit close to her in this dark, damp cell. She presents me with a slightly lopsided smile. Her expression is an alloy of curiosity and trepidation. I realise she might be mirroring me, and so I try to neutralise my emotions. Ugh, what is that? Mind the mouse. I don't like mice. I call him Harry. Well, hello, Harry. Must be time for introductions. My name's Annie, and I've come to listen to your story. I'm not part of the commission, and I'll keep what you tell me sealed for a very long time. The people prosecuting you don't know about this meeting. You are the chronicler they whispered of. I... I guess I'm a podcaster. The closest thing in this time is probably a travelling bard. So, you tell me your story, and I'll carry it into the future. What... what time do you bide in? When do you travel from? There's 360 years between us, between your time and my time. But I'm from the same place. I'm also from the north of Scotland. I even came to school here in Aldern. Do you ken the shape of the future times? What happens in this place? 
What happens to me? The trial? Do I end up in the gallows for the crimes of witchcraft? Or do I go home? Go free? I'm sorry, I I don't know what happens next. And it's actually in our contract that we're not meant to talk about the future. Um, but even so, the records of your verdict, they don't exist in my time. They don't remain. I don't know the outcome of what happens here. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Can you find for me? Find for me what my fate becomes? It doesn't work like that. We'll need to find out together, I'm afraid. Your time, this time, there's a void in the archives, and no amount of research will tell me how your story ends. It's why I'm here now, to discover what happened to you. Am I... forgotten? No, your confessions are in my time and they are one of the most famous witchcraft testimonies in the whole world. You ken me as a witch? Is my name cursed? No, no, in my time you're known as a woman accused of witchcraft. All the witchcraft trials become seen as an injustice against the people who were persecuted. We see all people accused of witchcraft as innocent. Absolution for the dead. Redemption for my ashes. I think we're asking for pardon for the people who did this to you. The sins of our ancestors who would seek to convict you of witchcraft. Your time sounds very strange. (laughs) Yes, well, 1662 has also been quite surreal for me so far. An old man once said to me, the past is like a foreign country. They do things differently there. But I never really liked that saying. Or that man. The past is nothing like a foreign country. Time is a sand dune made of constantly shifting grains, burying and revealing its secrets in the same fish's wind. It's filled with lost things, things ground so small by the ebb and flow of the sea that it's hard to piece together just what they are. We carry the past of our mothers as much as their history carries us, just as the sand shift. What of the present, when we are, right now? This moment? It's as light and reckless as a scrap of driftwood or a fragment of a cockle shell displaced with each tide. You know this well if you can't tell me if I live or die. It's a funny coincidence that you speak of sand dunes. There's local folklore about you cursing the... I mean, this area, well... Not Aldern, but North, the the Culbin, the place where you live, it, it becomes known for dunes. They will say 
I have made a curse? You will tell me of this curse. I shouldn't have said that. That's not what I mean. Um... Yes. There's not much to tell. But first, we must speak of you. You're the reason I've come so far. Perhaps we could begin with your life before the confines of the tollbooth. You has come so far, to a wretched prison betwixt rotting and ruin, and question who I am on the outside of this wall. The village will be speaking of this, that you want to listen to the words of one corrupted by the devil's kiss. I am far more interested in what you have to tell me than the townsfolk. Where does your life begin, Isabel? Well, I was born in a cottage made of turf and bracken, with one room for every task and all of life's cycles. It was a place of three warmths, and this heat was the pleasure of everything. The first warmth was the fire in the middle of the floor. We would keep it stocked with peats in ever-burning embers. They say that if the fire ever went out, the devil would come in. The second warmth was the cow that came inside in the cold seasons. The breath and the heartbeat of the cow are the whispering heat of a stoic beast. In winter, when the days were shortest, we would bleed the cow into oats and we'd mix this for our sustenance. A cow has heat to share on the inside and out and the beast never minded the bleeding if just a little was taken each time. The last warmth is the summer sun, the mother to our harvest. My family ploughed a small piece of land that was wasted or reaped depending on the weather. Aye, the fire, the beasts, and the sunlight. These are the warmth and joy of my younger years. Without these, there was hardship, hunger, and darkness, and we knew these well. Tell me, have you ever feared your embers burning low, fading, burning out? Have you ever felt the cold creeping into your bones? Well, not really, no. I've been cold, but only for a little bit. Just a day or a night. Never for any longer than that. No. I haven't, not really. But this is why I want your story. Our experiences of this same place are completely different. You live in Lochloy next to the Culbin, is that right? What does it look like? Lochloy? It's all fields split by burns and dry stained dikes. Same rough thatched roof of my childhood, but closer to the sea. The houses sit low in the rolling landscape, like mushrooms crowning out of moss, or pears fallen in a meadow. Are you fond of your home? Is it a good place? 
It's all I can. These lands have sheltered me for all my days. And mayhaps many more. The furthest I've travelled is in the stories that the fishermen bring back. Do you ken Lochloy? Aye, I know it. I will grow up at Lochloy a few hundred years from now. It's a special place. The day I was brought away from my home, the wind was quietly kissing the young crops. The birds were gently chattering in the fields. The cold stone of this crooked tollbooth replaced the soft earth of my home. The chills of this stone break through me like the ringing smash of iron on an anvil. Before you were brought here, how did you first hear of witchcraft? I remember no days before I knew of the superstitions that I am now named unholy for. My mother would tell me which wells and springs were favoured by the fairies. A good word said, over the last corn of the harvest blesses the land, just as an evil word said upon a cow will curse its milk. Everybody kens that if farmers were to touch the old ruins left by the fairy folks, well, they would soon find their crops standing dead in the fields. Magic is blended with the hills, trees, dirt, and under earth. Now, they say that these magics only come through the covenant with the devil. Am I to believe that all of these blessings are now the devil's work? Nay. If we are to believe in answers at all, then they can come from only the creator himself. The magic doesn't change. What alters is the whims of folks who want to see you hang at the gallows for it. The good wife tests her faith in every moment of her being. Mayhap she covets the milk of her neighbor's cow, or speaks the wrong words when turning the butter. The devil hides his trials in every task. But does the good man ever meet the devil on the battlefield? In blood, gore, guts, flesh torn up? Never. Curses lurk in the milk, not in the act of battle. <laughs> it, it tickles the belly, does it not? The devil churns in the butter, round and round. Sin curdles. It doesn't slaughter. Have you ever been tested by the devil, Isabel? Mm. Aye. It was many years ago. I was in the fields weeding the flax. Flax is fragile, you can. Easily overgrown. My hand stroked against something soft and tender, nestled in the crop. Looking amongst the young flowers, I found a wee hare in the long grass. Ears flattened against his body, eyes wide and alert. Too frightened to move. I could have snatched it up, made a stew. But I didn't. I let it rest, let it hide. Odd as you may think it, from this, I 
felt a thread bind me with the wee beast. I knew what it would be like in the warm earth, deep in a burrow, surviving on grasses, awakened by the first rays of the spring sun. To live at the height of clovers and ferns, I saw through the eyes of another. You became the hare. Aye. And was the devil also in the form of a hare? Nay. The devil transformed me into the shape of a hare. But the devil walks on cloven hoofs. Isabel, what happened to you to make you become the hare? Unholy things happened to me. Things woken in the depths of all evil. I've seen things to make a grown person petrified in fear. Things beyond the realms of imagination. I... Someone's coming. You need to leave with haste. (sighs) I'll come back to you, Isabel. We'll speak again soon. Very soon. I don't know when, but I'll be back. Be well. Next time, bring ale. Farewell. Be quiet. Yes, I'm leaving, Jailer. Calm down. Not that way. They might see you. I'm frustrated that my interview with Isabel has been interrupted. Even the glimpse of her life that she has shown me is more than exists in any of the archives about her. In her confessions, which I read for the first time in the 21st century, it details how Isabel used magic to run errands for the devil, often in animal forms, hares, crows, cats. I'm intrigued how the story moves from a woman finding a young hare in a field to any of this becoming evidence for witchcraft. There's a confidence in Isabel that I didn't expect, a certainty. I find myself trusting her. I don't always know how to speak to her, though. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong to challenge the beliefs of this time. I want to make sense of this, to help understand Isabel's life and her impact on this place. The story of Isabel Gaudi would soon find itself buried under layers and layers of mythology. And I'm going to try and excavate this.